Good morning, church. So today we're going to be looking at a passage that deals with one of the most fundamental questions there is in regards to the Christian faith. What does it take to be acceptable to God? Do you ever wonder about that question? Like, how much does it take for God to love you? What do you have to do to make him love you? Or what does it take for God to be proud of you? What Jesus shows us in today's passage is that God's standards for what makes someone acceptable is the exact opposite of humanity's standards. So today we're looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 45. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 45. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus calls us to come to him like children. Jesus calls us to come to him like children. We'll see an unexpected welcome the traits of children, barriers to childlikeness, and the true child. Unexpected welcome, traits of children, barriers to childlikeness, and the true child. But before we jump in and look at the passage, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the invitation to come to you. Pray that you'd be speaking to us today through your word, helping us to hear your voice, to know your love, and Give us this desire to come to you like children and a faith and obedience to do it. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first let's look at an unexpected welcome. Today's passage starts out with Jesus in the middle of a crowd. The people in the crowd are bringing their children to Jesus so that he can touch them. And as they do this, the disciples try to stop them, which may seem weird to us because in our culture, A good photo op holding a baby is one of the keys to a successful political campaign, right? And remember, at this point, Jesus' disciples all think that Jesus has come to be a political leader and ruler. And so it doesn't make sense to stop people from bringing babies to him, right? But what we need to realize is that children were not valued in Jesus' day like they are today. In Jesus' world, you were really excited when you had a baby because it meant that your family line was continuing. It meant that you had someone who could provide for you when you were old, too old to do work on your own. And you were really happy the day your child became an adult when they turned 13 years old. Crazy, right? Because then they could really start contributing to the family. But the time between birth and adulthood was kind of a, a no man's land. It was an extra mouth to feed, They couldn't really contribute to the house. Everyone's just sort of waiting for them to grow up. In the words of one commentator, he said, if you were a child in that society, you weren't really seen as having inherent value in yourself. Your value came from your relationship to your father. And in the eyes of the disciples, why would Jesus waste his time on these nobodies when he could be connecting with the important and worthwhile people in the crowd, their fathers? So don't judge the disciples for trying to keep the children away. They were actually doing exactly what you or I probably would have done if we were in their place. They were pushing the weak and insignificant people to the side so the great teacher could focus his time and attention on the people who were important and really mattered. But there's a problem with their approach. And the problem is that their teacher, Jesus, doesn't approve of it. Mark tells us that when Jesus sees what they're doing, He was indignant. Indignant means there's anger inside you and you can't keep it inside you anymore. So it spills out and gets expressed 
outside you. Jesus is angry at what they're doing. He can't keep his anger to himself, so he speaks. And he tells them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I feel like throughout my life, every time I've heard someone repeat that line or seen a a movie where Jesus is saying this line, he always says it really calm and peaceful. Let the little children come to me. But Mark says he's angry. There's got to be a little bit of an edge on his voice as he says this. He's probably putting some force behind it. And it would have been a shocking statement. Because Jesus is looking at the people his society says are worthless. And he's saying they have a position of privilege in the eyes of God. And he doesn't stop there. He says something else even more shocking in the next verse. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, think about what this second line adds to what Jesus is saying. If he stopped after that first line, let the little children come to me for such the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, everyone can walk away comfortable. Yeah, God accepts all kinds of people. He accepts me, the valuable adult. He accepts the worthless kids. Everyone is welcome with him. But then this second line reframes the discussion. Now it's not just God accepts everyone, even the undesirable people. No, it's that God accepts the undesirable people, and there are certain types of people he won't accept. And the people that he won't accept are precisely the ones his society would have said were the most valuable. They're the ones his society would have said had the inside track on being accepted by God. And even though today's sermon passage, we're looking at a long passage, this line is going to be our central focus today. We're going to look at the other stories in this passage that we look at through the lens of this teaching. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And let's start our exploration by looking at the first question that's probably on your mind. What does it mean to receive the kingdom like a child? And to to look at that, let's look at the traits of children. Now I want you to think, what are children like? In our world, we think of children as being innocent. Maybe that's what comes first into your mind when you think about being like a child. And maybe, maybe that's what you think Jesus meant when he said, you have to receive the kingdom like a child. Now here's the problem. This view of children being innocent is a relatively new view in human history. It's, it's only come into existence in the past two to three hundred years. It did not exist in Jesus' day. So when Jesus says we need to come to him like children in order to receive the kingdom of God, he is not telling us we need to fix ourselves up and become innocent. Which can we just pause for a minute and point out what good news that is? Because for Jesus to say we need to fix ourselves up and make ourselves innocent in order to be acceptable to God, that would essentially be saying Christianity is a huge self-help project. It would put a massive burden on each of us to try to fix ourselves so we can impress God. I don't know about you, I lack the self-will to be that good at self-improvement. 
If Jesus said we need to make ourselves innocent in order to be acceptable to God, that just places a huge burden on us that none of us can handle. That's not good news. But the gospel is good news because what Jesus is calling us to is so much better and so much more freeing than a self-help project. So if Jesus isn't calling us to embark on some big self-help project and restore our childlike innocence, what is he calling us to? And to answer that, let's just take a step back and look at some normal interaction with my one and a half year old son, Judah. Let's, let's just imagine together, you came over to my house on a Monday or Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. and just stayed there watching us for an hour. What are the types of things that you would expect to see during that hour? Let me tell you, because I, I do this, I spend that hour with Judah most mornings. One thing you would see is that Judah has no filter. He's too young to have a full conversation, but he is not too young to communicate clearly about what he wants. It's pretty standard for him to go to the shoe cabinet and grab his shoes and pull them out and say, walk. But he doesn't stop there. He goes and grabs my shoes and sets them in front of me and says, walk. And then he grabs Justine's shoes and sets them in front of her and says, walk. And then he goes to the door and he points at it and he says, walk. And he keeps saying, walk, 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 until we put our shoes on and follow him or tell him, no, Judah, we're not going to go for a walk right now. And if we tell him, no, Judah, we're not going to go for a walk right now, you know what he does? He screams because he has no filter. He says what he wants. He expresses his emotions clearly. He has no sense of what is socially acceptable. Children have no filter. Another thing you'd notice about Judah is he is completely helpless and dependent. If he wants food or milk or water or to go outside, he can't get any of those things for himself. He has to ask for help and he knows this. And he typically doesn't get upset about needing help as long as we're willing to help him. He's accepted as a part of his life that if he is going to survive, he needs other people to do things for him that he can't do for himself. Another thing you'd notice during your hour at my flat is that Judah is messy. Sometimes we like to try and help him with things so that it's less messy, but he likes to try to do them things for himself. So. For example, if we're feeding him yogurt, he wants to reach out and grab the spoon and hold it himself, but inevitably his hand ends up in the yogurt and then his hand is covered in yogurt and he wants his hand clean. So maybe he wipes it off on his shirt and then now it's not just his hand that's dirty, it's his shirt that's dirty. And when he realizes he can't feed himself with the yogurt, he hands you back the spoon and now the whole handle of the spoon is covered in yogurt because children are messy. And a fourth thing you'd see is that Judah trusts his parents deeply. Imagine with me again, Judah has just pulled out everyone's shoes. He's begging for us to take him for a walk and we say no. He gets upset. He cries. Maybe he's running around a little bit crying and he trips and falls and hurts himself. What is the first thing that he's going to do? He's going to run straight to mommy or daddy's arms. It doesn't matter that he was just screaming at us in anger. He knows that we are places of safety. And so he runs to us in his time of need. So with that picture of an hour with Judah in your mind, 
what does it look like to come to God like a child? Well, it means coming with no filter. Think about this. Have you ever wanted to pray something and then stopped yourself before you prayed it because you thought, I can't say that to God? I'm guessing many of you have, and here's why. Because I have been in conversations with many of you where you've started to say something and then stopped yourself and then said, I can't say that in front of the pastor. And if you feel like you need a filter to talk to me, who's a fellow sinner, who's also desperately in need of grace, it would be pretty natural to, ex- to apply the same filter or even a stronger one in your conversations with God, right? But part of coming to Jesus like a child is learning to come to him exactly as we are, not worried about how we'll sound or whether we'll get it all right. And part of what I love about the disciples is they were great at this. If you look at verses 35 to 37 in today's passage, James and John come to Jesus and they ask him a special favor. They say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now this favor is totally selfish. They're essentially saying, Jesus, those other 10 disciples that you have here, ignore them. Don't worry about them once you become king because we're the two most important. So we get the two places of prominence, deal? And to clarify, being childlike doesn't mean that we seek to be more selfish than we are now. But it also means when there is selfishness inside us, we don't hide it or filter it out. We're honest about it, just like those disciples were. And as terrible and selfish as their request here is, there's a beautiful element of childlikeness about it. They didn't feel this need to filter themselves at all. They just came and said exactly what was on their minds to Jesus. And God wants us to come to him in exactly the same way, genuine, as our unfiltered selves, not feeling the need to to make ourselves look better or sound better in his presence. And I realize coming without a filter is hard, especially in Asian cultures, because many Asian cultures, they prioritize diplomacy over truthfulness. We want everyone to get along. That means you may need to suppress your true feelings for the sake of unity. And if that's the case, then just do it. And I I just want to share in my life, I'm still learning how to come to God without a filter. It's been a process, a long process, and I'm not there yet. But one of the most helpful things for me in that process has been finding a couple close, trusted Christian friends who I trust deeply and learning to talk to them without a filter. Because what I've found is that as I see them continue to love me and accept me and remind me of God's love, even though I'm completely unfiltered with them, I get this tangible reminder of the fact that God will also love me and accept me when I come to him without a filter. And so I want to ask you, do you have a couple close, trusted Christian friends that you can try this with? God wants us to come to him like children, which means he wants us to come to him without a filter. Coming like children also means coming completely helpless and dependent. God knows our weakness. He knows that we lack the power and strength and the skill to save ourselves. He knows that in our weakness, we can't do it. And yet he sees us in our weakness. He loves us in our weakness. He stands before us with arms open and invites us to trust in him. The key 
to God's blessing and God's favor and God's love is not us doing great feats and accomplishing great deeds to earn his love. No, it's to recognize that we are helpless, that we are weak, that we are utterly dependent and to trust in him to provide for us what we cannot provide for ourselves. Coming to Jesus like a child also means coming messy. You don't need to get yourself cleaned up and sorted before God will accept you. And I think prayer is an area where this is a huge factor. I think it's common for people who have been around church for a while to feel like prayer is important. I'm not great at praying. I need to do better at prayer. I I need to set aside 10 minutes to just focus on prayer. And that's what's going to help me be a good Christian. And so we sit down to pray. We pray for like 30 seconds, maybe, maybe even less. And all of a sudden we realize our thoughts have wandered. We're stressed about work or we're laughing at a joke from the show we watched last night or we're mad at our kids. And we feel like, man, I've just failed at prayer. I must not be a good Christian. And then we feel like we need to stay away from God until we get ourselves sorted out and we can actually come back to him and and meet our standard of 10 minutes uninterrupted, just praying. But coming like a child means coming with our mess. It means coming even if we're distracted. You know, I love to cuddle with Judah in our rocking chair at our flat. But if I told him, I will not cuddle with you unless you can sit still in my lap for 10 minutes, I would never get to cuddle with him. So you know what we do? We sit down in the chair together and we sit there for like 30 seconds and then he gets wiggly and gets down and walks away. And he grabs a book or a toy and he brings it back and he climbs back up and we cuddle for a minute or two and look at the book and then he gets bored again and climbs down again and walks away again. And each time he climbs away and then comes back and gets back up, I'm excited to have him come back. I don't care that he's distracted and messy and that he can't sit still. I'm just thankful for the time that I get to have with him. And I want to ask you, how would your prayer life change? If you thought of a prayer like a child sitting with his dad in a rocking chair. Realize God's not waiting for you to get yourself sorted out and cleaned up before he will accept you. He loves to spend time with you. And when you get distracted and leave, he's excited each time you come back. He welcomes you just as you are. And then the other thing that coming to Jesus like a child means is coming and trusting our Heavenly Father deeply. It means knowing that he's the one we can turn to at any time, no matter our circumstances, no matter our mood. It's realizing the Christian life, it's not about learning to be more and more independent. It's about becoming more dependent on our Heavenly Father each day. God is so amazingly generous in inviting us to come to him like children. He's setting such a low bar of entry, anyone can get into his kingdom. But in one of the great ironies of life, this low bar of entry can actually become a barrier that keeps us from entering his kingdom. And we're going to look right now at how that can happen. Let's look at barriers to childlikeness. What makes it hard to come to Jesus like children? Well, a number of things. Most of them revolve around the fact that being coming like a child is too easy. It feels uncomfortable. We like being adults. 
And we see in today's passage an example of someone who refuses to come to Jesus like a child. Look at verses 17 through 22. A man runs up to Jesus. He kneels before him and he says to him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now notice a couple things about this question. First, as Jesus points out in his response to the man, this guy's trying to flatter Jesus without actually thinking about what he's saying. He's putting on a pretense, not coming unfiltered. In, in their society, they believe there's no one good except God, which on an ultimate level, it's true. And because of this, they wouldn't call a human teacher good teacher because it sounds too much like you're treating that human teacher as equal to God. This man doesn't believe that Jesus is God, but he's speaking to Jesus in language reserved for God alone. He's sucking up. He's trying to impress Jesus rather than just coming as he is. Second thing to notice about this guy's question, look at the question, what must I do? His focus is completely on what he has to do. There's no childlike dependence on God here. He's not coming like a child because he thinks he has the resources to be good enough for God on his own. And so Jesus tells him to keep the Ten Commandments. And he says, yep, I've done that. And obviously we know he has not done that perfectly, but Jesus doesn't call him on that because Jesus knows there's a deeper problem in this man's heart. This man's heart refuses to come to God like a child. So in verse 21, Jesus tells him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus says, if you want eternal life, the one thing you have to do is to put yourself in a position where, like a child, you are completely dependent on your heavenly Father. And the man won't do it. He has too many other things that he is dependent on, and so he walks away sad. So that's one picture of what it can look like to refuse to come to Jesus like a child. I'm sure some of those things in this story resonate with some of us. For example, wealth, right? Wealth is one of the big barriers to coming to Jesus like a child. We're going to look at a couple things in our culture that can be barriers, and the first one is wealth. After this man walks away, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 23, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And just to clarify, in case you're freaking out right now, Jesus did not command everyone who wanted to follow him that they had to get rid of everything they had before they could do. Actually, this guy's the only one Jesus says that to. But Jesus does say it to this man. And why is that? Well, it's because he knows this man's heart is captured and controlled by his wealth. His wealth is the thing he looks to for comfort and security in life. His wealth is the thing he turns to in order to remind himself the future is going to be okay. It's his precious. He can't imagine life without it. And Jesus says that that is the danger of wealth for everyone who has it. Wealth it tells us it can make us secure. Wealth tells us that it can keep our future safe. And it says, anyone who tells you to get rid of me must be out to harm you. 
And I know that in a city as wealthy as Hong Kong, it can be really easy for all of us to feel poor because we see these ultra-rich bankers and we see property tycoons and we compare ourselves to them. And in comparison to them, I think pretty much all of us are poor. But the reality is everyone in Hong Kong is rich compared to most people on the earth. Think about this. If you have an annual income of 55,000 Hong Kong dollars per year, not per month, per year, which is about the minimum wage for a helper, you are richer than three out of four people on the planet. Many people in our church earn far more than that. We are a wealthy church, even if we don't feel like it. And the danger of being wealthy is that we, like this man, can start to believe the lie that money can give us the things we really need in life. We look to our money for comfort and security, and if we're doing that, we will never come to Jesus like children. Because we'll never be willing to put our dependence on God that a child has on his father. Because we have that dependence placed in our money instead. So money is a, a blessing, but it's also a dangerous blessing because it can keep us from coming to Jesus like a child. It can be a barrier to childlike faith. I think another big danger, especially here in Asian culture, is face. If you don't know what face is, it's having the honor and respect of others. To have face is to be honored and respected. To lose face is to lose honor and respect. Nobody likes to lose face with others or to be lowered in the eyes of other people. In the book, The Joy Luck Club, there's an older character teaching a younger character about life. And she says, when you lose your face, it's like dropping your necklace down a well. The only way you can get it back is to fall in after it. How many of us have either been raised to believe that that's true or we've accepted it as our way of life once we became adults. When you are obsessed with or care deeply about face, you don't have the freedom to come to God like a child, to come to God without a filter, because you need to make sure every part of your life is perfectly curated. When you care about face, you don't have freedom to be honest about your mess. You feel the need to cover it up so no one else knows about it. And you know what happens when you do that? Your mess is like black mold. It grows and thrives when it's hidden in dark places. As long as you keep your mess hidden, you're creating the ideal environment for it to get worse. And can I be real with you for a minute? Like, COVID has been tough. I know that. I've experienced it. It has created stresses and pressures that have revealed issues in our lives we never even knew existed before. Maybe they didn't exist before and COVID brought them into existence. But the more I talk to people, both inside and outside the church, the more I see two huge areas where COVID has created problems in the personal lives of so many people. Finances and marriage. And if you're struggling right now with finances or marriage, and you're a Christian, God has given you resources to deal with those struggles. He's given you prayer and the Bible. He's given you the Holy Spirit, and he's given you a church 
community to help you and support you through this tough time. And if you're struggling in these areas, but you're refusing to use the resources that God has given you, if you're refusing to ask your church community for help because you're afraid you'll lose face, you're not coming to Jesus like a child. The church is the body of Christ. God wants to use the church, his body, to help you in your struggles, but we can't do that. If you're too proud or too afraid or too concerned about face to admit that you're going through a hard time. And if you're going through a hard time, I invite you come talk to us about it as a church, whether that's the elders or whether that's someone you trust, because God wants to use his church to help you in this season. And if you're going through a hard time and you're not willing to get rid of your filter and be honest about it, you're in danger of ending up as far from Jesus as the young man is at the end of this story. Face is a huge barrier in our culture to coming to Jesus like a child. So the invitation to come to Jesus like a child, it's very easy on one level because it sets a low bar, but it's impossibly hard on another level because we're adults. We want to be independent and mature and coming like a child means admitting and accepting our weaknesses and inadequacies and letting the world see them. And that's scary. We don't have the power to do that on our own. So where do we get the power to receive God's kingdom? like a child. Well, let's look at point four, the true child. See, we get this power by looking to Jesus, the one who had true childlike faith. Look with me at verses 33 and 34 of today's passage. Jesus says to his disciples, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will arise. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus is telling them what's coming up on their travel schedule, and it is bleak. Next destination, Jerusalem. Itinerary, arrest, condemnation to death, mocking, spitting, beating, execution. If you were going on a trip and you knew that your next destination's itinerary had that in store for you, how many of you would keep going on that trip? I don't think I would. But notice that with Jesus, not only is he continuing on to his destination, in verse 32, it tells us he was walking ahead of the group. He was leading the way. He was pushing on, despite how terrible and painful and cruel his reception in Jerusalem was going to be. He pressed on to get there. Why? What motivated him to keep going, despite the terrible fate that awaited him when he got there? Childlike faith. See, Jesus is the ultimate example of the faith that he calls for all of us to have. On the way to the cross, he doesn't try to put a filter on his feelings or hide his mess. In Mark chapter 14, right before he gets arrested, he tells his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And then he goes and he prays to God and he says, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not as I will, but what you will. How's that for self-awareness and unfiltered honesty? 
Friends, I feel like I'm so sad, I feel like I'm gonna die. God, I don't want to do this. Make another way. Jesus isn't sugarcoating his feelings. He's not trying to put on a good show to impress people. He's like a child, totally honest about his feelings. And he's also completely dependent and trusting on his father. You see the end of that prayer, not my will, but yours. Realize the idea of being beaten and rejected and mocked and killed, that's not Jesus' idea of a good time. It's his father's plan to rescue you and me from our rebellion against him. So the price of our sin can be paid. It's the Father's plan to rescue you and me from our failed attempts to live life on our own power, to rescue us from the effects of our hiding, to free us from our shame, to rescue us from failing to have childlike faith. And unless his Father comes through for him and raises him from the dead, this is the end for Jesus because he is going to die. But he has childlike faith. He knows his father is going to come through for him and raise him from the dead. And so he continues in obedience because he is completely dependent on his father. Church, whatever it costs you to come to Jesus with childlike faith, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It likely will cost you something. But Jesus gave up so much more so that you can have access to him. You may sacrifice some wealth or lose some face or lose some pride or something else. Jesus sacrificed heaven. And after he sacrificed heaven, he sacrificed his life. And he did it so you and I can be accepted into God's family as sons and daughters. So you and I can know God as Father, just like he did. And because God's our Father, we can trust, just like he came through for Jesus by raising him from the dead after Jesus had childlike faith, He'll also reward our childlike faith. Doesn't mean we're always going to be healthy and wealthy and popular when we follow him. No, Jesus says if we follow him, we'll suffer like he did. But it means whatever it costs us, we can continue to follow and we can continue to trust because in the end, God will make it all worth it for us in this life or in the resurrection, just like he did for Jesus. So church, Jesus tells us to come to him with childlike faith. It's a super low bar of entry. It essentially invites us to come to him as we are. Come with our mess. Don't worry about having a filter. Rely on him completely. But it's scary because to reach this low bar of entry, it's going to cost us in the world's eyes. And we're never going to make the sacrifices necessary to come to Jesus like a child until we see his childlike faith and the way that God took care of him. But once the truth of Jesus' childlike faith and God's provision for him grips our hearts, it's going to give us the freedom to find joy in coming to Jesus like a child as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus and his childlike faith. Thank you that through the childlike obedience and faith of Jesus, the way has been opened for us to have access to you. What a blessing, what a privilege that is. God, forgive us for the times that in our pride or in our fear, we refuse to come to you like children. 
teach us to trust you like a child, to be completely dependent and reliant on you, to come to you without a filter, to come to you with our mess, so that our real selves can have contact with the real you and be reshaped by you. Thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.